The scripture reading this morning comes from Joshua 24. I'm going to read a selection of verses beginning in verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, and then Joshua goes on and he recounts uh, the gracious acts of God throughout Israel's history. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But I want to skip down now to verse 13. He says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it, set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, have you ever experienced a uh, transition of leadership? You know, whenever there's a, a transition of leadership, uh, there is uncertainty about what the future will hold. And this un- uncertainty can create instability. You know, you ask questions like, well, you know, will this next leader lead us in the right direction? Uh, you know, what's going to happen to our country or our, this, our business or our company or our school uh, when this next leader takes over. Well, Israel is about to experience a transition in leadership. And they've experienced the transition before. Uh, when Moses passed the baton 
to Joshua. So they've experienced a transition before, but now they were about to experience not only a transition of leadership, but they were actually about to experience a, a transition to a different leadership structure. You know, up to this point, they were led by a single individual, Moses, then Joshua. But now, once Joshua dies, he is going to pass on the leadership. He's going to delegate leadership to the tribes. So it's going to have more of a plurality of leadership among the nation of Israel. Now, they'll still have the high priest who will serve as a central religious figure. But they'll no longer have a single person there uh, to give leadership to the nation. And so Joshua, knowing that he is, he is nearing the end of his life, uh, he gathers the people there, the leaders of the people. He gathers them at Shechem. And in preparation for this transition, Joshua gives them a charge to help them move forward in the right direction. He's giving them a charge to help them move forward with the Lord. Now, he could have said many things. You think about it. Uh, he is been leading for decades and now he's about to pass the baton of leadership to this community of believers the people of God this nation as they seek to move forward I mean just think about what you would want to say I mean there's several components that go into uh, nation building right and preserving a nation and so there are a lot of things that he could talk about but he really focuses on really two points there are two main points in his charge to them First, he reminded them of God's grace in their lives. And then second, he called them to make a decision. So let's look at the first point, which covers verses 1 through 13. Joshua reminded them of God's grace. And as you read through these verses, I didn't read through them earlier because we're about to read through some of those right now. But as you read through these verses, what you're going to notice is the use of the pronoun I over and over and over again. You know, God is speaking through Joshua to the people and He is reminding the people of what He has done for them. So let's look at some of these I statements. Verse 3. And speaking, God is a reference here with I. He, God is speaking to the people. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave him Jacob and Esau. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your, gave them into your hands." I destroyed them from among you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. 
So what's the emphasis of this part of the passage? Well, the emphasis is, is what God has done for His people. God is saying, this is what I have done for you. Look at all the things I have done for you. You know, it was by God's grace that they were called to be His people. And it was by God's grace that they had come to possess the land of Canaan. Now, were the people active in these different scenarios? Yes, they were. But their success was completely dependent on the grace of God. You know, apart from the saving intervention of God, Abraham would have never left the gods of his ancestors. Apart from the saving intervention of God, the Israelites would have remained slaves in Egypt. And apart from God's grace, the people would have never been able to take possession of the land of Canaan. So the point is that the people were unable to deliver themselves and experience the blessings mentioned here in this passage without God's help. Now this divine help of God is spoken of all throughout the Scripture and it's referred to as grace. Grace can be defined as God providing us with something good that we could not possess on our own. That's the key. You would never be able to possess what God can give you by His grace. That's the whole point. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It only can be given by the grace of God. It's divine help. It's what God can give us. And the story of God's people all throughout the Scripture, and even today, is laced with grace. We receive many things by grace. You see this whole list of things that the people of Israel received by grace. But the ultimate possession that we receive by grace is salvation. And this was true of God's people then, and it's true of God's people now. The Apostle Paul explained it this way to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we see this idea of grace, that we are accepted by God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through His resurrection. And we receive the forgiveness of our sins and this new life with God by grace... Through faith. So faith is the way we receive salvation. This gift of God, which is a gift of His grace. So like Paul said, you know, it's not a result of works. You can't earn it. You could not possess it on your own. It can only be given by God's help, by God's grace. And so we can't possess salvation. We can't achieve right standing with God apart from the grace of God. So the question here is, you know, you, be, you might even be thinking, you know, what makes you right with God? How do you enter into a right relationship with God? And through my conversations with people, I find that many people think uh, that it's other pathways or avenues or ways in which they are made right with God other than God's grace. You know, you may think that it's because you've come to church this morning that you're in right standing with God. Or you may say, well, Ron, I'm a pretty good person. That's why I think God accepts me. Or you may think, well, my parents are Christians. I'm from a Christian family. My whole family's Christian. That's why God accepts me. But according to Paul, you are mistaken. 
if you think that you are made right with God through any other way other than through faith in Christ. You know, Paul says you are saved by grace just like it was by grace that God called Abraham to himself. It was by grace that the people of Israel experienced the blessings they experienced. So when you look at this passage in Joshua 24, why this emphasis on God's gracious work of deliverance and provision? Why is Joshua so focused on that as he seeks to transition leadership? Well, he knew that as he transitions the leadership baton from himself to the plurality of leaders in the community, if they were going to move in the right direction, uh, they needed to know one fundamental truth. Now, he could have, you know, you think about all things he could have said. He could have talked about, well, you know, the key to having a, a, a good nation is to have good marriages. So here's how you should have good, here's how to have good marriages. Or this is how you raise good children because we want to raise the next generation right. Or this is how you have a just society. I mean, he could have focused on all these important elements of you know, nation building, community flourishing. But he doesn't do that. He focuses rather on one fundamental truth. There's one fundamental truth that he wanted to make sure the people understood. And this truth is that we serve what we worship. We serve what we worship. And our marriages, our parenting, our business practices... And every other area of our lives is directly impacted by who or what we worship. And so as he was preparing to pass the baton of leadership, he challenged the people to choose who they would worship. Because he knew this was the one fundamental truth that would impact every other area of their lives. And I think this is one reason why Joshua gathered the leaders of the people at Shechem. Because Shechem was a significant place for the people of Israel. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, it was at Shechem where God told Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan. And then in Genesis 35, it was at Shechem that Jacob had those who were with him bury the idols they were worshiping in preparation to meet the Lord at Bethel. And here in Joshua 24, 24 we have... Joshua telling the people to throw away the false gods and worship the one true God. Why? Why is this his focus? Well, it's because he understood that their future would be determined by who they worship. Look with me at verse 15. Joshua says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites and those in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So as the leader of the people, in one final address, Joshua gets to the heart of the matter. He recounts all of God's gracious acts of deliverance and blessing and provision for his people. And then he says, now you need to make a decision. You see the, the, what God has done. You see who God is. And now you have a choice to make. And he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choosing whom you will serve, choosing whom you will worship 
is the most important decision you can make. It was the most important decision they could make at that time, and it's the most important decision that you will ever make as well. Because every other decision, if you think about it, every other decision flows from that one. You know, what you worship or who you worship, what you serve, everything else flows from that one decision. So the question is for you, same, for the, same, the same, the same question that Joshua posed to them, who or what are you worshiping? Because your whole life, all of your life flows from that one decision. Who or what are you worshiping? So the question you may have, well, Ron, how do I know what I'm worshiping? How do I know who I'm worshiping? Well, I have a few questions that you may can ask yourself, uh, kind of a, you know, diagnostic questions, kind of see what's going on in the heart to maybe reveal what am I worshiping? Who am I worshiping? So here's one question you may can ask yourself that may help you. Why do you do what you do? And why do you do what you do? Who or what guides your decision making? You know, earlier on in my life, I remember thinking about, well, what would my granny think? <laughs> so my granny was kind of a, a you know, barometer about what was going on, like what, how I made decisions. I thought about her. But, you know, as I came to know the Lord, uh, that shifted. It wasn't just about what would my granny think. Or what would my parents think? Or what would this person think? But rather, be, what, would, what does the Lord think? You see the shift. So think about who, uh, why do you do what you do? Is it a, is it a person? Is it an idea? Is it a, a passion that's thrusting you forward? What guides your decision making? This is what you worship. This is who you worship. Another question is, who or what do you attribute life and blessing you know, in Joshua 24, Joshua wants to make sure the people understand that the only reason they are part of the people of God and experience the blessings of God is because of the grace of God. You know, God has done these things for us. So who do, you, who do you attribute your life and your blessing to? Think about that. And you may be attributing it to what you worship, who you worship. So if you will be still and just ask yourself, ask yourself these types of questions, you'll find what you're worshiping, what drives you, what guides you in your decision making, what gives direction to your life. That's what you're worshiping. And this is why Joshua, at the end of his life, he challenges the people. And he could have talked about all sorts of different topics, but he really gets to the heart of the matter. And he challenges the people to worship and serve the Lord. Then after he does that, he moves into verse 23 when he says, Now then, said Joshua, the people, are, the people respond to Joshua's charge and they say, We will serve the Lord. We will worship the Lord. We will love the Lord. So Joshua says to them, So now throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. 
It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. What's interesting here is that once the people made their decision to worship the Lord, because that's the fundamental question, who will you worship? Once the people made that decision to worship and serve the Lord, then Joshua reaffirmed the decrees and the laws. All the details on what it looks like to walk with God in, in daily life. How it affects your marriage. How it affects your businesses. How do you deal with your, uh, your, your you know, relationships. All these other details flow from that fundamental question. He didn't lead with the laws and decrees. He led with worship. Who will you worship? Who will you serve? Then he fleshed it out. This is what it will look like to live out a life of faith. And he gives them the decrees and laws. Reaffirms the covenant. That God made with Moses. And then he dismisses the people. Each their own inheritance. Because Joshua understood. That salvation always precedes service. You know, acceptance always precedes obedience. Relationship always precedes rules. And once the people responded to God's grace and made the decision to worship the Lord, then, then Joshua spelled out in more detail, well, this is what it would look like to serve the Lord together as a nation. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ has done for us. That is what makes us acceptable to God. Purely through what, the work of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And at the same time, we are saved to serve. We're saved to serve. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to work. The Christian faith is an act of faith. You know, it's, a, it's a faith that shows itself in daily life, but it begins with a decision. It began with a decision... In Joshua's day, as he challenged the people, and it begins with the decision even today for you. And that question is, whom will you worship? Whom will you serve? And I pray that we will uh, be like Joshua. And we will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that what you'll say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this passage. Thank You for uh, Joshua's words and Your words through him that challenges us to consider whether we will worship You or go back to our former life and the way we used to do things or even adopt the ideas of those around us and seek after the many things that drive people all around us. Lord, thank You for this challenge, uh, even through Joshua's commitment, when he tells us that as for his house, he will serve the Lord. They will serve the Lord. That's their decision. And everything else flows from that, Lord. We know that. I pray that every person here will consider that challenge. Who will you worship? Who will we worship? Who will we serve? And I pray that everyone here can respond and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because you are worthy of worship. 
Lord, thank You for all that You've done for us by Your grace. We recognize that all good things come from You. And we're so thankful that we have this opportunity uh, to respond to Your challenge to us even today. To worship You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what You've done. And I pray that You would empower us even now to live out our faith as the world watches so that they too may come and worship You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.